Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to uh, this first of five special Explaining History podcasts to celebrate the fact that yesterday we hit the 100,000 mark. So we now have over 100,000 subscribers on the Explaining History podcast and this week we're going to be doing a a giveaway, um, our first ever, which is terribly exciting, Um, and we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of different stuff that's going to be useful, hopefully, for students and people that are just excited about history uh, and the people that have really supported the podcast over the last few years. And while we're on that subject, I think there, there are a few people I really need to say thank you to um, dotted around the world who've um, come up with some great sources of support and inspiration. So in no particular order of importance and um, no particular order of, of preference... I'd just like to say a huge thank you to Michael O'Sullivan in Dublin, um, to Mehdi Arafa in Paris, um, to uh, my my good friend and benefactor Bill Gooden, uh, to Lucy Benson for your uh, endless support, to uh, Meredith Jensen in California for your recent kind words, um, to Dr uh, Alex Kay who's written some brilliant stuff and has uh, contributed to the Explaining History website in the past, and to all the good guys at IB Taurus, who have uh, been a, a great publisher to work with, they sent through some really interesting books, and there's never the expectation that uh, we're going to have to descend into the, the grubbiness of the hard sell. So uh, if I've missed anyone out, it's um, please don't hold it against me, I have a terrible memory, but I just want to say thank you to everybody for supporting the podcast till it's reached uh, the monster that it is, and let it continue to grow. So today I'm going to talk about a very interesting um, set of processes uh, that existed um, uh, in the, the 1920s and 30s, really from the birth of the state of Poland at the end of the First World War through to its destruction in 1939. And these were... Um, related to the uh, relationship between Poles, Jews, Polish nationalism and uh, Jewish Zionism and how they had, in many ways, a strangely complementary relationship 
And there was a degree of cooperation, of collaboration, uh, and um, admiration on both sides. Yet, after 1935, this existed in a climate where the government of Poland was becoming progressively more anti-Semitic. The extent to which the Polish government um, and Polish society was becoming anti-Semitic was really um, nothing compared to what was happening in Germany. Um, And yet, the logic of um, race relations in Europe in the 19th and 20th centuries um, would tend to suggest, and it is um, totally overturned in this case, would tend to suggest that if anti-Semitism had grown with um, force in in anywhere, it should, in theory, have been in somewhere like Poland, uh, more so than Germany. Um, Poland having uh, between two and a half and three million uh, Jewish inhabitants, whereas Germany having really a a, a couple of hundred thousand. Uh, And the fact that there is a far more um, complex relationship, I mean, there is um, anti-Semitism, both a a grassroots and a state-led anti-Semitism in Poland, Um, but there are also um, far more defenders of the the Jews in Poland uh, than are able to manifest themselves in Germany. Um, So let's make a start. Let's talk about Joseph Pilsudski to begin with. Well, in fact, before we look at Pilsudski, we need to look at Jan Paderewski, the father of uh, Polish independence, uh, the uh, talented concert pianist and composer, diplomat and a politician who represented Poland at the Paris Peace Conference and who had spent the year or so beforehand in America uh, speaking with uh, American Polish Jews and trying to bring the many millions of Jews who were within the current Russian Empire um, that uh, the, the parts of the Russian Empire that would comprise now a new Poland uh, into um, a new Jewish state. Uh, Paderewski was no anti-Semite. He was uh, a guy who uh, understood that the Jews would have an important part to play in the state of uh, of Poland uh, and that Polishness was not necessarily um, a, an exclusively ethnic uh, concept. Um, but the opponent to this would, of course, be Roman Domowski, who was the head of the uh, Polish National Committee and was uh, a strong anti-Semite and rival for Paderewski's uh, position. The final nation-making moment for Poland came on the 27th of December 1918 in Poznan, where Paderewski um, encouraged um, Pilsudski to uh, lead a national uprising to uh, free Poland from the uh, remnants of German control. Um, Tsarist control in the east and German control in the west had both collapsed and the opportunity now presented itself as the war had ended um, to create a uh, Polish nation-state that would hopefully be ratified at the Paris Peace Conference. Domowski was uh, sidelined in in this moment by Pilsudski 
who um, was no anti-Semite at all, uh, Pilsudski looks upon anti-Semitic politics with the same kind of bemusement um, uh, and kind of mystification that he looked on um, Soviet looked on at uh, Bolshevik politics. Pilsudski had um, had existed within and grown up and lived within the confines of the Russian Empire all his life. He had been a, uh, a liberal nationalist revolutionary and had, uh, as part of the revolutionary underground, the wider revolutionary underground within the Russian Empire, had rubbed shoulders with all manner of um, different revolutionary parties, including the social revolutionaries and, of course, the Bolsheviks. So he um, he knew um, what Lenin was talking about. He knew um, precisely what Lenin intended to do. And he knew that um, Bolshevism represented a serious threat to the integrity of the new Polish state. The Polish state that Pilsudski had his eyes on was one which incorporated at least parts of uh, Ukraine uh, and perhaps might even be a federation between Poland and Ukraine. Uh, This was a uh, clear threat to um, the new Bolshevik state. So you have these um, essentially mutually antagonistic forces a liberal nationalist Poland. Let's face it: the uh, the liberal aspect of that um, doesn't really manifest itself too deeply with Pilsudski before we get too romantic about him. And a uh, new Soviet state across the border. Both um, look upon the Ukraine as being uh, their future. And finally, you have the pariah state. Of Germany from 1919 onwards, who has been um, penalised and punished in order that Poland might um, be allowed to live. Well, this is at least the way that German nationalists tend to see it. So, in essence, the fourth nation that exists within this uh, milieu is the uh, nation of the Jews of Poland. And as the new um, state of Poland emerged and developed, the relationship between the Poles and the Jews would uh, develop and transition as well. And a strange romance develops between the uh, most ardent uh, Polish nationalists on the right and the um, extreme right-wing end of the Jewish Zionist movement, namely the revisionists, of whom uh, Vladimir Yabotinsky and Menachem Begin are the most uh, pivotal characters throughout this time period. Now, you may well have heard my previous podcast on Menachem Begin, and it's got um, a lot of stuff that pertains to this in it. So you might find that useful as well. So you can check it out. I probably did it a year, it seems like a year ago, it could be a whole bunch longer. Pilsudski had been popular with the Jews, he had had a very good relationship with them, and there were um, a, a lot, there was a large section of Jewish population that believed that Jewish people had a future in Poland. There were um, Zionists who argued that actually the Jews had found their Zion anyway, that it was alongside the Poles, and that together Poles and Jews would build the new Poland uh, together. Um, and the, the uh, ideas of finding a, a home in 
Palestine or somewhere else within the British Empire. That wasn't necessary. But after Pilsudski dies in 1935, the um, new um, government that comes to power, uh, the new National Unity Government, um, announced that it was going to um, insist on mass Jewish emigration from Poland. Now, before we start to make simplistic comparisons with between Poland and Nazi Germany in the 1930s, um, and say, ah, well, you know, they're all as bad as each other. Whilst forcing the Jews to leave Poland is indeed, you know, eth- a kind of ethnic cleansing, and um, it certainly was nothing, it was not motivated by the same ideas that Hitler had uh, in mind. Um, it was motivated by different notions and gone about in a very different way. Hitler, I mean, if you read um, Black Earth by Timothy Snyder, it's a very, very good guide to to some of these ideas. Um, In it, he uh, suggests that um, Hitler was essentially genocidal from the the outset, from his earliest writings and thinkings, uh, and that really um, the Holocaust is the meeting of ideas and circumstances. And um, the uh, and that Hitler believed that you know all was biological, only race and biology um, justify and dominate the world, nothing else. As the Poles don't think that the Poles, um, uh, the the Polish anti-Semites who wanted the Jews to leave, um, argued that a that Poland can't be a nation state with a foreign people in it. That you need to have. Um, one uh, one people in one place, and that also Poland's poverty could be alleviated by sending the Jews away, by reducing the growing population size and the pressure for land and all these things. Now, it's not to justify or to excuse Polish anti-Semitism over Nazi anti-Semitism, far from it. It's simply to distinguish between the two. Now, fortunately... For the National Unity Government, um, the Poles had a the, the the National Unity Government had an ally in the revisionists. The revisionists agreed that the uh, Jews of Poland didn't belong there; that they belonged somewhere else. And the other place, the place they agreed they belonged, was Palestine. The Polish government had initially conducted a feasibility study into the uh, question of deporting uh, Jews to Madagascar. The French essentially objected to this and they believed that um, Madagascar... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. ...that would become dominated either by Jews or Poles, neither of which in the eyes of the French was particularly the attractive thing when Leon Blum, the uh, Jewish uh, Prime Minister of the National Government, uh, came to power, um, the Poles were encouraged and they thought that there might be some kind of arrangement um, that could be made with a a Jewish leader, but they had no such luck. Um, Initially, the Nazis were interested in the idea of shipping all of Europe's Jews to Palestine, uh, Adolf Eichmann himself goes there in 1937 and realises it's a dead letter, that the British simply won't allow it. But there are significant forces within the Nazi uh, party that say, well, 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 we do not want a Jewish state emerging in the Middle East. Given the way we currently treat the Jews, and probably how we will be treating them in the future, this kind of revanchist uh, state where uh, the German people's deepest uh, existential threat uh, lies uh, that can you know, spend a good amount of time arming and equipping itself. This would be uh, this 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 would be a terrible idea. So it's the um, uprisings again by the Arab population within the Mandate of Palestine uh, against the British that spell doom for any further plans to um, populate. Uh, to allow mass um, Jewish immigration into Palestine. And the pressure of uh, Nazism on the, the, the world Zionist movement makes itself uh, apparent in 1935 when that movement splits. There are um, Zionists um, who advocate a gradual introduction of Jews into Palestine and uh, an attempt, firstly, to try to build neighbourly relations with the Arabs before any further Jews come. Uh, but Jabotinsky uh, in 1935 says, "Simple mass immigration now. This is the only thing that will uh, that will save us." And um, when we get there, what we do with the Arabs really is force them from their land um, and create this militant state of Israel. Um, he believed that a uh, an Israel that spanned both sides of the River Jordan, and perhaps that stretched down into the Sinai, uh, and had an outlet onto the onto the Red Sea, was the only viable state that could be uh, created. So a uh, a very big uh, state of Israel. Um, Jabotinsky hoped that the Poles would gain the mandate uh, of Palestine from Britain. Um, it, a lot of this is kind of pipe dream stuff, but the the British by the mid nineteen thirties are quite fed up with Palestine. It doesn't; it's not worth really anything, um, and it causes an immense amount of uh, trouble. Um, it had been gifted um, to uh, to Britain, or Britain had wangled it at the um, Paris Peace Conference, and now held it as a mandate. 
Um, but um, there was every reason to imagine that the British might possibly want to um, uh, dispose of it. Um, the Poles and their Zionist Jewish um, collaborators were both um, versed in the art of creating nation-states from within the confines of empires. Ultimately, this is how Poland had been born, reborn in uh, 1918. Um, and they knew um, the rule of uh, Germanic, uh, Austrian or, or Russian empires very well. So they assumed that the British Empire would work in, in a similar way and you could find ways of, um, sort of exacting, extracting concessions from it. Um, the strength of revisionism um, was based mainly, however, in Poland itself, not in, in Palestine. There were obviously uh, revisionist Zionists in Palestine at the time, but revisionist, um, the kind of the legions really of a revisionist Zionism are in Poland in the guise of the Bitar youth movement. Uh, the Bitar youth movement was predominantly right wing um, revisionist Zionist. Um, they were well trained by the Polish army and um, were in, in effectively a kind of a, a fighting force. Um, how effectively you know they ultimately fought is uh, shown uh, in the various disturbances and uh, guerrilla warfare between the, the British and Jews in um, Palestine after the Second World War. One of the things that Timothy Snyder points out is Batar were quite handy for the Polish government because they were extremely anti-communist and um, the Polish government uh, in the mid-1930s uh, with a, a dangerous Soviet neighbour to the east had no truck with the communist parties uh, at all. So these guys were um, very useful. And the, the Batar... Um, Polish nationalist organisations would share, would uh, parade with each other's flags. Uh, Bitar uh, often sang Polish patriotic songs, and there there is this curious paradox of this a Zionist organisation, an organisation that wants to establish a, a home in Palestine, feeling proud and patriotically, if not Polish, then at least deeply affiliated to the Polish nation, seeing them as comrades-in-arms and brethren. And um, the Polish Secret Service and the Polish Army gave Bitar um, and the revisionists an awful lot of help in uh, establishing um, uh, a, a, a military underground um, in, the, uh, in Palestine, which sees the development eventually of the the organisation Irgun, um, the uh, terrorist group that becomes chiefly associated with Menachem Begin, and Begin um, believes, um, and he was disputed really by uh, Jabotinsky here, but Begin believed um, that a secret, hidden, conspiratorial, armed underground would be the the way to uh, found a Jewish state um, from the uh, in Palestine uh, against the British. Um, Begin had learned much of what he knew uh, within Poland and, and the Russian Empire uh, from the terrorist underground 
of the Russian revolutionary movement. So um, I always find it fascinating when you see the journey of these ideas and principles and concepts um, throughout the century um, and the uh, what what Begin was bringing to Palestine was essentially a Russian revolutionary terrorism. Erdogan was connected to the Polish government. Witold Hulanitschi, um, the Polish consul in Jerusalem, passed uh, instructions back and forth from Poland to Erdogan, and um, the way that it was viewed as in the uh, the high, highest echelons of the Polish government was that um, the Polish state had aspirations very, very similar, almost identical to those of the Zionists. And therefore, it was important to see how the two could work together. The Poles, as we've already mentioned, um, after 1935, the Polish government was keen to see how uh, Polish Jews could be removed en masse from Poland and Palestine seemed to be uh, the place to do it. And therefore, using Ergun as the leverage to uh, bring about some kind of confrontation with the British where hopefully the British would either abandon the mandate and then the flood doors would open or the British would decide to relent and allow mass Jewish immigration because it was the path of, of least resistance. Um, this was this was the uh, the strategy. I mean, neither side, of course, know that within three years' time, Hitler will decisively intervene in Poland, um, and the, uh, the the Poles' problems um, vis um, the uh, the size of their population will be dealt with in a whole horrific new manner. Because I suppose one way that you could interpret all this, if you're going to look at this from the uh, from from economic history, an economic history standpoint, the um, decision to uh, go for whole-scale deportations of Jews from Poland in 1935, um, even if it has the cooperation of the most extreme um, elements of Zionism, anyway, is in some ways explicable by the Great Depression. You know, you see this worldwide collapse in agricultural food prices uh, and poverty uh, coming particularly to the countryside over much of Europe and America. Um, And the uh, desire, therefore, to lower the population, to get rid of surplus population, you know, and and therefore unemployment. Uh, And the surplus population you start with is your Jewish population. Now, it goes without saying that, of course, not all Poles signed up to this um, uh, policy. And it was fiercely contested within Parliament and fiercely contested particularly by the parties of the left, the Socialist and Communist parties, who were outraged and appalled uh, that it was even being considered that the uh, Poles should be shipped overseas. But this... um, Outrage didn't stop uh, a gradual increase in anti-Semitic policies in the second half of the 1930s, such as um, banning kosher slaughter and a decision by universities, social clubs and other institutions to uh, discriminate uh, against Jewish members. 
um, and to uh, present Jews as the uh, causes of communism, uh, atheism and all the other sins of modernity uh, itself. Uh, so uh, a lot of this was designed to kind of um, in, uh, encourage the Jews um, to consider um, emigration to uh, Palestine. Um, but by 1939, um, there was still a, a large Jewish minority in Poland. And an indication that the Zionists, uh, the revisionists particularly, were not as popular throughout the uh, population, uh, the Jewish population in Poland, as one might think, was the fact that the Bund Party, the original Jewish Socialist Party, the oldest Jewish um, Socialist Party, um, who were committed to staying in Poland and building a socialist society along with the Poles in Poland, did remarkably well in the 1938 uh, elections. So the danger for historians is this, um, is that we know what happens next and we know it's terrible. We know that in September 1939 that the Germans invade and inflict unimaginable cruelties on both Poles and Jews alike. Um, and so we know that the the world in which uh, uh, we, we're talking of um, Polish nationalists and uh, of um, Zionists, that this was a, a kind of uh, one with a, a limited time period. But we have to remember that they didn't know that. Now this might seem obvious and rather trite to say, but it's very important not to get into this kind of teleological mindset where we start to talk, think about ideas of inevitability or looking at the end point and trying to work backwards because you know that's bad history it doesn't work or help anybody okay so i'm going to finish there um and just suffice to say um we're still running a um crowd sourcing crowdfunding uh, campaign to make sure that we can continue to uh, cover the hosting for explaining history so if you can make any donations at all um, uh, then i'll be hugely grateful and the link is uh, as ever uh, comes with this podcast anyway enjoy thanks very much and thanks for all your support all the best bye imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 